0: We are also brought to you guys by Monarch Social. Now, Monarch Social isn't just another social media marketing company because they're going to take care of you on all your digital marketing fronts, from SEO to beautifully designed websites to custom videography. And if you want to know more about that, you got to check out the video they did for me uh, on the Thinking Project Facebook group um, because it was absolutely phenomenal. They absolutely killed it. Morgan and his team take really good care of you. They walk you through every step of the process and the communication is on point. So if you need a custom video, a beautifully designed website, if you need uh, custom social media ad campaigns, monarch socials where it's at they also have a podcast they release every friday where they bring you a ton of value so check them out monarchsocialbrand.com or you can find them wherever Uh, you're on social media because they're probably there too so check them out monarchsocialbrand.com and get your digital marketing rolling We are brought to you by Happiest. Happiest is your number one place to go for premium CBD products that will not break the bank. And guys, I've used these products for a long time. There's a lot of CBD out there. So uh, why I like it is uh, if you're a first time user to CBD, you're going to be able to get some of the best quality stuff out there without... spending all the money. They're about 50 to 60% less than some of the big guys for the for the quality and the quantity that you get. So check them out. They have a number two uh, daily use broad spectrum oil that's fantastic. They have a number eight sleep aid, which is phenomenal. And their number 14 freeze roll on for your aches and pains, muscles and joints is absolutely incredible. So there's something for everybody there. Definitely go check them out, happiestmed.com. Save some money on a buddy pack uh, or just grab a couple for yourself. I mean, guys, you're not going to regret this. And if you're a veteran user, you're going to get the potency and the CBD that you love. Again, without breaking the bank, so you don't have to sacrifice the quality. So make sure you go check them out, happiestmed.com, and tell them The Thinking Project sent you. Okay, guys, it's uh, time for me to introduce my next guest. And before I do, huge shout out to everybody who has subscribed to the podcast, who's left a review on iTunes. It really means a lot to me, and it helps further the work that we're doing at The Thinking Project, which is to help those people who we have on spread their word and get their message out there. So if this is the first time you're tuning into The Thinking Project, please consider uh, subscribing wherever you're listening to. And if you're listening to it on iTunes, please consider leaving a written review uh, because that helps us out a ton. Thank you so much for listening and everything that's going on. And let me introduce my next guest. Yvette Dubell is a the author of a cure for racism. She is the host of the It Matters podcast and a coach and mentor. Uh, For all those things, you can find her on her website, empoweredinnovation.org, where she goes through coaching and mentoring of all of that, of a cure for racism uh, (laughs) through uh, culture and art. And it was a fantastic conversation that we had. It was nothing short of amazing. She really opened my eyes to a lot of uh, great principles. And her message is astounding. And, And this is the whole point of what we're trying to do here is to spread that. Message of of Yvette DuBell, which is love and (laughs) awareness and realizing that we can all pull together as humans and and really accomplish the same goal. So, uh, thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy Yvette DuBell. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into the Thinking Project. Oh my gosh. Yes, ma'am. So are you are you in Canada or are you in the United States? I am not. I am in the US. Okay, great. Where are you at? I am in North Carolina. North Carolina? That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. Where are you? I'm in Utah. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Very pretty out there. A lot of skiing, I, right? <laughs> there's a lot of skiing, a lot of mountains, but I'm originally from Iowa. So oh, okay. There. Not a lot of mountains there. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh-uh. I've never the been out. The biggest sky life. in the world. Yes. I know. I miss it sometimes. Sometimes I sometimes I get homesick, but oh. that's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're going to start this real quick.
1: Okay. So you're starting it before I had a chance to ask you why you were in Salt Lake. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: right. We can we can do it. That's the beauty of this. We'll share whatever. Like okay. I'm, all right. Oh, yeah. We. It's very like I mean we uh it's very open. You know we talk. I've talked about. I've I've started on business talks and then we end up talking about something totally different and I realize okay. that we're, we're kind of running out of time. And so we ended, I mean, but that's like the cool, that that's also part of it is like, we get to see, you know, business owners show, you know, they, we see them like in ads and on commercials or on their social media, and they're really talking about what they do and what they love. Um, And so sometimes it's really refreshing to get like the other side of what they do. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm a business owner, but I'm also like here, you know what I mean? And so I really, so that's, that's very easy. All All right. That works. So how did you sense. get connect? How did you get connected with? Um, is her name? Oh goodness, Tracy. Tracy. I wanted to say her um, last name starts with an elf, Tracy so. Lamore. Yeah, yeah, that's right, <laughs> Tracy Lamore. Because she has a um, lot of people in Canada, right? Yeah, she's in Toronto. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh. Had, uh I think. That, well, I have a podcast also, and so okay. I had interviewed some of her people. And um, she, I guess, was, I don't want to say a fan, but she really (laughs) was encouraging me to, like, share my story. And she said, more people need to know about you and what you're doing. And um, that's not really my strong suit. So (laughs) she, (laughs) um, I became a client. And then um, she started directing me to people like you. Because on my own, I don't really uh, talk too much on my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> or my Twitter or anything else. Or anything else. Okay. Or anything else. So, All right. Uh, well, that's really cool. Well, we're rolling. So I, I'm really <laughs> excited to talk to you. I'm really excited that you're here. So why don't we just start with, you know, we were talking a little bit before this, uh, what you do and everything. But in your words, um, what is it that you do?
1: I am an artist researcher currently um, in resident, the artist, artist researcher in residence with We the World. And I use that to coordinate their freedom campaign. And so that becomes an application for my work. And uh, we were talking a little bit before about the my empowered innovation system. So I apply that to, basically, it's like to transform challenges into launch pads for success. So for the MLK 40 Days of Peace, the challenge I focused on tackling was racism. Um, okay. And I'd started a little bit before that. Um, but basically, it's like I'm really focusing on that. So I have a book by the same title coming out in March, A Cure for Racism. And um, basically, it's uh, was geared towards those people who identified themselves as allies when the Black Lives Matter movement really you know kind of took force after George Floyd's murder. Yeah, And a lot of people after the demonstrations were like, well, now what do we do? And I found myself yeah. having some conversations and um, sort of small forums where people kept, you know, encouraging me like, you really need to share this with more people. You need to <laughs> be talking about this. And um I kind of dragged my feet a bit on that. And Tracy really was a a big, she was the big push that um, has really been helpful uh, in me talking to more than just random people that I meet on the street or at
0: the (laughs) cell phone store. Yeah, Um, yeah. Just to get like, get your message out there. Well, just from that little uh, information piece, mm -hmm. like it sounds like you're doing a lot of really important work that 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 needs to be heard right especially after 2020 and all and everything that went on with that as far as um you know everybody's just all the craziness that went on right you mentioned the murder of George Floyd yeah. police brutality racism like that was a that was a big deal so you mentioned though and I kind of want to go this route and if I'm jumping the gun let me know but I kind of want to I kind of wanted to see, you know, you mentioned you try to tackle this problem um, without coming from anti-racism. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what that means and what that looks like for people. Okay,
1: sure. Um, well, the basis of my work and this art-based is art-based approaches, artist solution, is one of the things that I am exploring in the work. And so... My issue with anti-racism is it doesn't really educate people about the notion of race itself, and it doesn't get people to question what race is and to have that awareness that race isn't a real thing it's a socio-political construct. It's not a physical reality. And so if you don't question that, you really can't deal with racism because you're not dealing with why racism exists, what enables racism, how to recognize it, or any of those (laughs) things. So um, in one of my my presentations, a woman referenced um, this famous uh, Mother Teresa quote. If you have, let's see if you have an anti-war rally, I'm not coming, I'm paraphrasing, um, yeah, but if you yeah. have a peace rally, you know I'll be there. So it's sort right. of the same thing. Anti anything is pushing against the thing. You're including the thing you're trying to change. I mean, you're that makes making sense. that the foundation. So if you're trying to change racism, you can't keep racism at the heart of the solution. And so fundamental to my approach is um, to help people see the problem different, the challenge differently, so that you can transform it. And in this particular series with a cure for racism, I share some techniques for using art to transform one's insights and uh, as you uncover your own racist beliefs because if you're raised in a racist environment um you know we all have a bit of us in it and one of the things that i teach in the webinar in terms of getting people to see racism differently is that racism is an ingredient that is only added to the systems by us as individuals so we are the ingredient right we're the ingredient that is breathing the poison into the system so um I, I teach people that we are the ingredient that we bring to everything that we see,
0: witness, and experience. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Holy cow. There's so much <laughs> there's so much in that. Like I, I want to go so many different ways, but I feel like so you're writing a book about this right now. hmm
1: Well the oh, book wow. is written. It's in the final design. Oh, the book design. is okay. It's written and final design stuff. After I get done with you, I'm gonna go look at proofs
0: for the book. Oh. <laughs> Well, good for you. Holy cow. That's great. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, um, so, so help me, like, help us explore this idea more of, of the idea that we're like, you, you know, you mentioned ingredients into things that we come into, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea that um, you mentioned race is a, is a construct that we, uh, you'll have to forgive me if I paraphrase. A <laughs> socio-political right. construct, right? Yeah, a socio-political construct, right? And, and um, so explain to me what that means. Okay. And, okay. How you do, and, and what um, that
1: is. So, when you look at how race became a reality, like a, a lived reality before, um, before, way before Black Lives Matter, um, there was a case in the Supreme Court, and forgive me if I do not know the year. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I need to go look, but I'm not going to look right now. But anyway, it was a case <laughs> sure, in the sure. Supreme Court. And I believe the fellow was Indian, India okay. from India, from India, Indian from India. And okay. he was asserting that he was Caucasian. Um, because of his dark skin, he was treated as a Black person. And this is during Jim Crow. And so because he was not Black, he was asserting that he, in fact, should be considered Caucasian under the law. The Supreme Court found that race was essentially something that um basically rested on the layman's definition. So if a white man looked at you and could assume that you were black, uh, but that led to those laws around like if you had one eighth you know black blood, you're black. And then there became all these other categories categorizations. Um, as Jim Crow, I don't want to say evolved but progressed, um, yeah. of Octoroon and mulatto and all of this kind of thing that was based on how much white ancestry or black ancestry I guess it was Black ancestry that they were looking to quantify, how much Black ancestry you had. And so, um, again, this just basically asserts that race was about defining who would be the haves and the have-nots. That's it. That was the only reason to create the notion of race and make that part of the law of the land. Um, Holy
0: cow. Um, why don't now? Why, now, why don't you think more people know about this story and and this idea that you're telling us about right now? Because it to me, to me, it's new to me. But it makes, but mm-hmm. well, you know what I mean. It help it helps me open my mind to like, holy cow, that that's. That's insane. I would never think of that. Like, I don't know why that would ever be a thing. Um, I can tell you why I know it. I homeschooled our kids and part
1: of preparing to homeschool them meant re-educating myself. And so I chose not to use a history book um, to educate my children. Instead, we read, um, well, when they were really young, I read aloud to them reviews of history books
0: um, oh, wow. and then <laughs> oh, I bet that was I bet that was great you know what that's so funny I would never think of like re- reading the reviews for like this history books they put in school mm-hmm Like peer peer reviews or like reviews? Yes, these were.
1: You know what? There's a great book called Lies My Teacher Told Me. Great for a lay person. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. That's a great overview. And then I would just use the bibliography from when I found one that was really good. I would use the source bibliography of that book to lead me Mm -hmm. to additional books. And then as they got a little bit older, like when they were able to like read and write and everything, um, Mm -hmm. we use these workbooks that are actually Supreme Court cases. So... Wow. Um, through different eras <laughs> of American history. But Good before we even got to that, we actually yeah. did history in chronological order. So we actually started with indigenous um, history, the history of indigenous okay. populations all around the world. So we did a sort of world tour of indigenous populations and then followed colonialism and then following colonialism back to North American history to focus okay. on it from that perspective to give them what I felt was a more honest and accurate um, understanding of history as opposed to mm-hmm. teaching that colonialism is the beginning of everything and even teaching them <laughs> about early African history you know the upper Sudan yeah. and the north you know this upper and upper and lower Sudan before you know there was Egypt and all of that so anyway um, so we, we started that way and understanding the indigenous history looking at American history through books that were written by Native Americans Indigenous Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so starting there, and then kind of coming into colonialism. Um, we used to go when we would travel and go go different places see colonial life reenactments and things like that um, mm. we 've been to visit a few plantations um, mm. and reading source material, reading diaries, reading journals instead of history books um, Bullwhip days is um, a really heartbreaking collection of slave narratives um, didn 't read all of those because they 're really tough uh, yeah, but they yeah, give that would you seem like a um, but to have, well, again, this all has to be like age appropriate. We didn't introduce yeah, this yeah, 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 right yeah, yeah, away, yeah, yeah, but, course, but just <laughs> for like a small child, you would start with something like just reading, like in the secret garden, they use the N-word, but they're referring to Indians. And so that was the first conversation that we had about the N-word. Interesting,
0: interesting. Um, and wow. so, it you know, right? <laughs> yeah, you know oh. what? You know what? It, this is, for me, I started my. I started really to open up because, like you said, like I grew up in a really small town in Iowa, mm-hmm. where like, I mean, all I had was public education, and so I'm definitely going to pick that book up. Lies my teacher told me.
1: That is um, so eye opening. It is so eye opening because wow. they look at a whole host of the most popular history books yeah. that were used in America at that time. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them are still being used because they keep yeah. those things around for a long time and just add which is, in.
0: Which is insane. <laughs> That's. Not, that's bonkers to me that's uh, absolutely crazy, <laughs> but you know the my mind started opening up when I actually started uh doing like my family history, so mm-hmm. I have um so a big part of my family history is Hawaiian okay. and learning about like Hawaiian history like that was the first time when I was like something's not right, and like I'm not learning something, you know what I mean because yeah. we didn't read about Hawaiian history. I learned kind of similar to what you what you were saying through like journals and stuff and about how like you know. Everything was everything was pretty cool, you know, before colonialism. <laughs> before colonialism, and and now like I, my a lot of my and family... there's a rich col- history there. That's the other thing is what yeah. a rich
1: history that they have that they've managed to preserve. I yeah. think uh, you know largely yeah. through their oral traditions, and there's a lot of written material too. But there's oral a, yeah, traditions, there's a, they've maintained the practices,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. There's a ton of that, and and so learning about all of that, and like. Uh, a lot of like my friends and family and like ancestors fought really hard to preserve like a Hawaiian culture. So that was my first experience with like, Holy cow, this is, something's not right. Um, And then the second thing I read a book, um, I, I can't, I listened to it on audible, um, but it was about the, the Lakota Indian tribe. Ah, (laughs) And I read that one and, and it kind of, and it was front and he was a Lakota. uh, He was a Lakota Indian. So he was like the author of it, right? It wasn't, it was like a very much his, his history. Right. And I, and, and those two books, and I was like, holy cow, like I missed so much. And so like, and so if we, if we dive into a few different things, that's fine. Cause we can go as long as, as you yeah. want or whatever, but how do you, how do you, Teach people to deal with that. Like when you start realizing, like, I wasn't taught this. And I feel like there's a lot of us, and give me your approach on this, but I feel like mm-hmm. there's a lot of us who just like don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what do you do? And, and so I just, I'm kind of in this thing, like, how do you, how do you approach that from, a, from your point of view? Um, I meet people where they are.
1: Um, It depends on where they are in in the journey. Um, Like I recently did, I've been doing, obviously, I've been doing quite a few interviews in preparation for the book. And um, for me, so I've done a few where just the questions um, before we've even met and have the podcast just hit me the wrong way. And um, I find I see those as teaching moments. And so I address what hit me the wrong way in answering the question <laughs> and what I think is <laughs> happening. <laughs> um, because Good I feel like there's you. some yeah. um there's some unseen bias in the in the way they frame the issue, the question. So just as an example, just recently I did one um uh was Authority magazine for Authority Magazine. And there were several questions. So it's about uniting our divided country, uniting our divided America. And there were several questions that were sort of had this like one of them was about why does every election have to be a fight for the nation, the soul of the nation. And that just hit me like in my stomach. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? And immediately my first thought was like taxation without representation. It's like, that's (laughs) why. And so then I went on, um, because they they also mentioned like some things about climate change, like these big issues that we have to deal with. And so I was like, well, this Uh is an opportunity for me me to like inform this person, black and indigenous people of color have been dealing with these issues for really, really, really really long time. And if and I even link to a blog that gives a list of about 10 books that people can go um, and check out if they want to educate themselves. Because this You'll was something to, I was involved yeah. in like 20 years ago. Oh, wow. um, but it wasn't okay. until it became an issue for white people, white communities, that suddenly the media was very interested but when everybody else was struggling and dealing with this, nobody really cared. And so sure, that's one sure. side of it. But then the okay. other issue is that um, until racism is really your dress, you're asking black, indigenous, and people of color to basically pay for their subjugation, oppression, murder. Um, you yeah, know, geez. so yeah. that doesn't make sense. And I, I it, several know. times I compared it to um, Jewish people. And it's like, can you imagine if the Nazis had won and then they were running everything and they shaped the laws to, you know, and the culture to reflect their anti-Semitic view? Can you imagine telling Jewish people to just shut up and vote my agenda?
0: Mm.
1: And it's like essentially that's how that comes mm. off. And yeah, it yeah. doesn't help us get anywhere. Right. Right. So there's first there's that bit. Um, and then one of the other questions I got was about, um, oh, what would make you feel equal? And I was like, whoa, what? Um, oh, why do you geez. think me not <laughs> feeling equal is the problem? And so um, she yeah. talked about it on the podcast and she Allison was really great about it. But I told her, to, like, um, and I'm not the first person to say this. There's a book about this. So I'm not the first one to to make this. She makes a much more academic case for it than I'm about yeah. to make. But the racism <laughs> okay. exists to protect. Protect white mediocrity. It does not exist because we fear that we are inferior to white people, um, and so we talked a little bit about <sighs> yeah. history. Um, Carol Anderson has a great book called "White Rage" that really documents the policy evidence of what I'm saying. Um, yeah. And you, okay. and you you hear people. Um, well, not hear, but you you see the references. You see the the. Um, The reference of the policy and the historical narrative, how those things line up, the reaction to reconstruction, for example, in the slew of laws that came after that, whenever there's been any sort of progress, what we saw at the state capitol, that is kind of like the norm, because that is what happens whenever the country has gotten on a more progressive and inclusive track. That's what we have seen happen historically. So Mm -hmm. I was pointing out to her, it's like when people say this is an America, it's like, um, what lie are you telling yourself? That's exactly who we have been. We can be something different. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? We can absolutely absolutely be something different. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And one of the reasons I think the art is so important in this Dalton is because I think what we're really dealing with is some people have a lack, they don't have the ability or the willingness at this point in time. I'm going to say maybe it's the ability to imagine a future. That's not like our past. Mm -hmm. And um, Einstein Mm -hmm. had a quote, you know, imagination is more important, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I get that. Um, Wow. Because we have to be able to imagine a better future. And some people simply cannot. And then along because of that, they can only imagine a future where black, indigenous and people of color will take out retribution for what has happened. And that's that's mm. the only way that they can see the world. And I think well, there's also just the basic lack of status. There's some people mm. that rather than being better, uh, want to be being mediocre or worse, um, and still be rewarded for it. And um, that's just a child <laughs> having a tantrum.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, but and that, that's that's so crazy to me. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go no, ahead. no. I was just saying. I was
1: like, like what, that what the heck. <laughs> But it essentially is. It's like the world is changing. They don't like it. And they're going to scream and like tear up a room or tear up the state capital, you know, sort of national capital, whatever. Um, And um, in this article where I was talking about this, it's like, well, when my kids were young, they had two choices. Use your words um, explain to me what's going on and I will do my best to help you find peace and resolution or I would gently lay them out on the floor and let them scream until they were done and I would just continue to walk by them and do whatever it is that I needed to do until yeah. they got the message. It's like if you insist on <laughs> behaving that way, the world will move on without you.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. And, uh, and I love that you do that. Cause like, I feel like, I feel like I do the same way. I'm like, you know, you can go throw the, you know, and we do the same thing, you know, use your words or like go to your room and then you can do whatever you need to do in there until, but you until gotta clean we it up
1: before you can come out. <laughs> that's right. My son, I had one that used to go and like trash the room and it's like, okay, that's yeah. fine. You do that, but you don't come out until you clean it. That's
0: right, because there's consequences, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another great I, book. I'm going to throw another great book out here, Dalton. Okay, um, let's How do to it. Talk So Kids Will Listen,
0: and Listen So Kids Will Talk. No kidding. Here, How to Talk. So Kids Will Listen. So Kids Will Listen. And Listen down. So Kids
1: Will Talk. That's a great book. That's one of the best parenting books I ever read.
0: All right, well... Tch. But and I'm it worked it. for
1: a long time. I mean, because they talk yeah. a lot about natural consequences, okay. and you know, alternative to like yelling and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, natural I'm, consequences I'm, I'm, are great. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. 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 I've, and I think my mother told me, and I've heard it a few times, like the law of unintended consequences, like you don't get and be creative. Yeah, yeah, creative yeah you get creative
1: I mean <laughs> if you decide you're not going to hit your kids one of the things I would do is I would make them clean the bathroom because it's a small room and yeah. they have to clean it together and then if they start arguing they have to clean another room together
0: <laughs> and, and uh, you learn conflict resolution like that right and, and you learn how to like get along with people I think what like they them. actually
1: learned was how to let their big brother like boss them around and be the one in charge to tell everybody <laughs> what to do
0: but from the parents perspective
1: the yelling and the arguing stops
0: Oh, that's good though. That's it. So, that's where. Right, that's know. where it's at. So, tell me, um, what is Yvette? What is your book called? Like, what's the name of the book? And and obviously, the premise is what we're talking about here. But mm-hmm. when is the release date? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> oh well,
1: good for you. Yeah, it's all you <laughs> be the first week of march i don't know okay. um, okay. but it's going to be so i have um if you go to my well we'll talk about this at the end but if when you go mm-hmm. to my website it takes you to um, the fundraising page for it's called a cure oh. for racism and so the mm-hmm. book is called a cure for racism um powered by empowered innovation power, empowered no, I'm sorry, powered by the empowered innovation system And so it is basically using this approach and introducing people um, to a few key ideas. I give them three three key ideas and three takeaways to basically see racism differently, to have a different understanding of racism, and to combat some of the underlying fear that I often see that people don't really want to acknowledge that they're afraid of of, confronting racism. But looking at, um, one... Seeing it as a privilege to be able to educate yourself about racism, because yeah. the alternative would be experiencing it, which is, I can tell you, is certainly, I would weigh whether, oops, sorry, yeah. learn oh, about it, oops, sorry, that's my you're mother good. calling me, I will call her back. Um <laughs> I forgot I was supposed to do something for her. Uh, <laughs> don't let your mother buy things on eBay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. This, okay. I'm not being ageist. I'm just saying if yeah, they yeah, can't yeah. navigate return policies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with um, you. Sure. So uh, I have to help my mother return something now. Um. um, no. um Oh, educating yourself about racism, being yes, a privilege. So yes. you start with that. And so we take, um, one of my participants in the workshop once called it a law of attraction approach um, <laughs> to <laughs> cool. um, curing racism. It's like, okay, I like that. Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> so a big part of it is that, again, when we look at this self as the ingredient that you're bringing to everything you see, witness, and create, and that uh, basically racism is a poison. It's the result of a culture of white supremacy. We've internalized it. We bring that poison into the system. So how do we begin to remove that poison from the system? And so that is where the art based the artist solution kind of thing comes in. And I share a process. At the end of the book, there's basically the playbook that it's a revision and the update of the playbook. But i done a playbook for the 11 Days of Global Unity last year. And we had artists from different disciplines use the same methodology to create um, dances. Some people did songs. Some people did some graphic animations. Oh, cool. Um, so it's all sorts of things. But this is focused on like visual art. So um, you're given some prompts some questions to explore and, and a journaling exercise. And you just keep journaling and you keep exploring until you get to the bottom of, you know, you feel complete. And then we transform, let me see if I have it. I think I have one here. And then we transform it into a work of art. And I like to—I give some other examples in the playbook, but this is the one that I lead people through. And so I tear up mm-hmm. my journal pieces Beautiful. and reconfigure.
0: And if you can see, like those. Yeah. Aren't. Oh, yeah. You can see the writing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So all the wow. little torn pieces of paper get reconfigured on this. And so um, I teach people who don't have a lot of art supplies did this with just watercolor paint some white Elmer's glue and Crayola <laughs> markers, Crayola water-based <laughs> markers. Yeah. And- And um, using them to create like a watercolor effect. Um, So it's about like using the journaling to kind of uh, safely. One of the reasons I started doing this was it's, it's security. It's nobody can come back and read the journal entry, um, and then oh, you literally point. trans right. You you wow. transform it so nobody can come back and read what you wrote. You yeah. can never be embarrassed by it, or anything. <laughs> but it's that freedom, you know. Like you can put it all out on the pages, and then when you're done, you tear them up, you transform them. But then as you're doing that, you're reflecting. You're thinking. And so that's part of the systemic change. That's how we, that's part of acknowledging and changing ourselves as an ingredient and part of the system. And so, part of what I call this is a quantum view. It's a way of introducing people to quantum thinking, more of a systems thinking approach yeah. without getting really complicated. But yeah. there is a sort of metaphysical or physics, physics, metaphysics reality where we're entangled, you know, at some level with these things. And so, just to get people to think about themselves differently in the system is just the first step that we're looking at. And if we can start to just acknowledge that, then that's progress. Then the next bit is I teach people a five-step strategy for personal innovation. And so they're introduced to that. And um, the reason that that's a part of this is because that's a fundamental part of addressing why systemic and institutional racism continue to exist. And that is... A lot of people's success and status and wealth depend upon it. So Mm -hmm. we must redefine success to include impact on others. And so...
0: Yeah, yeah. And and I um, think that that's a good point to make because i think a lot of people get caught up in like this old traditional form of success and in and in my circle and in and in the people that i interact with um i can see that that definition is changing at least a little bit you know there's some people who fight me on it because that's what that's what i think like whenever i'm like in a job interview or or i'm on a podcast like this and, and somebody goes well what is success mm-hmm. i go well i mean like for me it's about getting better every day like that's what I mean, I don't have to have a dollar amount. I don't have to have, you know, I know that I, if I can be better than I was yesterday, then I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. I'm moving towards my goals. I'm moving from my goals. And uh, and that's what it is to me. Some people fight me on that, but not very often, at least in the people that, you know what I mean? And people that right, I interact right. with, um, it's getting there. But I, I see that though. Like a lot of people, I have to be this position. I have to make this much money. And, and and they're so fixed on that, that they'll do almost anything to get there. And that's very dangerous.
1: OK, so an example would be so when we talk about institutional racism okay. and using that example, you're talking about sort of climbing a ladder to get to a certain position or whatever. Okay, And I mean you look at something like mass incarceration and if somebody just takes that sort of blinders attitude of I want to move up in the DA's office and never really oh. questioning that system, you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah, so if yeah, you just, yeah. Tweak it um, to consider my success and its impact on others, then you start to look at things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And so I help people to, um, there's like a whole series of questions, like in it. So, like, just step one, there's like some after you go through the, the webinar, and so the webinar is by donation or you can get a free ticket. And so I'm going to be adding the book as a bonus with donations. Cool. And um, after that, there's a three-day challenge. That three-day challenge takes you through the first part of that five-step strategy because just the breaking down the what matters to you is something that a lot of people have not really, really thought about. And you think about, you know, think about how many people you you have met or have known who have children that they don't have time for, but they go through a lot. Like I've known a lot of people who've gone through all sorts of stuff to have children, you know, all sorts of failed IVFs. and all this stuff only hmm. to have children that they don't have time for and um and i say that in that they hire someone else to take care of the kid yeah they, they do, you know they, it's they, like they, they, they maybe yeah. see the kid an hour or two a day yeah, um yeah. and it's like why did you spend all that
0: money to have these kids
1: do you know what I'm saying? Right. right. What was well, that really yeah,
0: about? No, it's a, very, it's a very sobering thought, right? right? Like, I mean, it is. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, and that's well, part not of why like, people pay more attention to the wedding than the marriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody right? got, Nobody wants to give you uh, marriage advice, but everybody will give you wedding advice, I'm sure. Um, I'll give you both. <laughs> <laughs> I've been married for a long time.
1: Right. I don't really go around spouting off, like, you know, marriage advice. I let people ask. I mean, I'll tell sure. them what I've learned. You know, I can't tell you yeah. your marriage. But I can tell you some <laughs> things I've learned. But a lot of things in terms of relationships across, apply across the board, no matter yeah. what kind of relationship it is. Oh yeah, But I think that um, for myself, when I look at like my marriage and my family were important to me. So Mm -hmm. that was what my choice is. I stayed home and I did all of the work that I did around homeschooling my kids. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't think that I could have done a nine to five and been the same kind of mother and wife.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so I think there's some honesty in like knowing yourself, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I think that's right. Yeah. No, go ahead. Say what you're gonna
0: say. Well, I was just gonna say because I'm sure there's a, you. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, you just gotta figure out where, like, your strengths are. Because I know, I know, I know some people who do and some people who don't, and and they they make it work somehow, right? Right. Yeah, so I, I, mean, it's I like It's not just
1: that. about not having time with your kids. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking sure. to people who spend lots of money and go years and years trying to have a kid. And then it seems when the kid gets here, like, did you do anything to like mentally prepare yourself? Yeah,
0: you know I mean? like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's true. That's definitely the case in some in some cases, for sure. I, I thought I was going to be a midwife
1: when I was much younger. And then I discovered oh, wow. I don't have the temperament. <laughs> I don't have the temperament. Yeah. Um, I was at a birthing and this woman, we were... um I had met some some older moms because most of the moms who were stay home moms and homeschooling were older than me. Uh-huh. Um, but this woman was like 40 and having her first kid and she was having a home birth and she was completely freaking out. And I was getting really angry with her. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, and I was just in training. This is just like early, early, early okay. in the training. Okay. Um, and this, I was training with my midwife and she, uh, I was not helpful. And... Um, <laughs> Has to step outside. Um, uh, it was just like, it's sort of like to see if that was something I might want to
0: do, you know? Yeah, yeah. I but I mean, you have to, you got to try it. I tell people, um, I tell young, I tell young people all the time. I'm like, I I don't know if you should go to school for that yet. If you've never like job shadowed somebody like that, you know, you should. Um, yeah. <laughs> having home births is not enough to qualify you, which
1: is what I was thinking. I felt oh, like I've had, go, yeah. oh, I mean, i have had like yeah. it, my, my children were on actual. We had like a couple of home water births that were unattended. Okay. So we didn't oh. even have the midwife there. It was just me and my husband. My mom was there for one, but she was doing breakfast anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought like that certainly qualified me. Like I could assist somebody, Interesting. you yeah. know, and it's like, yeah. I totally, because I was, you know, you're 40 years old. Did you not like prepare? Did you not do any research? <laughs> I was like so annoyed at the way that she was behaving. And that's mm-hmm. not what somebody needs in that sort of situation. So I was like, okay, I don't have the temperament
0: for that. Yeah, uh, interesting. I was <laughs> no, like, yeah, you know, I like my kids.
1: Yeah. Like I thought I wanted to be a teacher. When I first okay. went to school, I was an art major and um, art therapy wasn't widely available as like a major at that time. There's only a couple of universities in the States that even had it. And none of them were like in my state. And mm-hmm. so I was thought well I'll just be an art teacher cuz you know that's looking easy. So I worked for a little while um with kids. I think it was like an after school program and I hated it. Um <laughs> not that I hated the kid, well no 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 no. I didn't but- hate the kids but dealing with the parents and also um i was really bothered that when you see like kind of early indicators of trouble you can't really do anything as a teacher that's until hard. something yeah. really bad happens and i didn't mm-hmm. like that and there were some indications that um anyway there was a little girl that i was concerned about and was really just like shot down by my my supervisor yeah. and i was like okay yeah this isn't going to
0: work for me um, yeah that's that's such a hard position to be in because you, you care when about you can, them like you're, you're they're yeah, yours. If you yeah. have to take care of them, you start yeah. to feel
1: sort of maternally towards them, and you want to protect them. So I was like, mm. okay, yep, yeah, I don't have any <laughs> professional distance with this. Right, um, not for me. Okay.
0: Yeah, okay. Oh, there you go. Well, that's good though. So you so you that's part of it, right? In, in your in your uh workbook is, is being aware of yourself and and, and understanding starting. what really matters for you. Yeah. And I really
1: want people to think about if you mm. found out you were going to die next week, what would be the thing that you couldn't live with having not put out in the world because when Mm. you talk about being better because I also think like we want to be our best selves um I think and certainly I want Mm. to encourage that in people in terms of as an ingredient how do you refine yourself as an ingredient if you were organic food if you were the organic version of Dalton you know what I mean what does that Mm. need to deliver to people you know what do people need to get from from the experience of Dalton, and for people yeah. to really think about what were you put here? What what did you come here to do? You've been here. You're taking up space. You're breathing <laughs> the air. You know yeah, what did yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. You didn't come here to shop. You know what did you come here for? As fun as buying stuff on
0: Amazon is. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, of course. So um, so. So why is that important for you in, in, the mid, in the grand scheme of what you're trying to do a Cure for Racism? Because I fundamentally
1: believe that each of us has a bit of what we need to solve the world's problems. Mm. And I think that the more that we learn to collaborate and work together, the faster we get there. And um, we talked earlier about diversity, D-E-I-A-D, diversity, equity, inclusion is usually Mm -hmm. what the industry is called. So I'm not like I have spoken at a lot of those conferences, attended a lot of them. Um, But the thing about that is that I think the bigger... I used to teach people to understand diversity differently because I really think that um, people cared about diversity because of innovation, because of its relationship to innovation. Diverse teams have been found, research shows this over and over again, they tend to be more innovative. And so that was sort of the reason that people cared about diversity and inclusion. So I think the same thing applies to the world in general. I mean, sort of on a spiritual tip, if you will, I spiritually do (laughs) believe that we all have a bit of what the world needs knowledge talent skill whatever that is and that the more of us that can come together and work together the closer and the faster that we will find those solutions because we won't be so fixated on the problems
0: yeah oh that's that's and you mentioned that earlier in your in your idea of um you know not leading with anti-racism right
1: and then, this and is so very that, much a lifestyle. This is a personal
0: innovation, as yeah. I teach is a lifestyle choice. This is a lifestyle. <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, and that's and that's what a lot of people I think uh are trying to, the message that's trying to be brought is that this isn't a fad, right? Like this is here to stay, that we need to like really work together to make some real progress. Um, because this isn't going anywhere. Like we're like you mentioned um, you know, uh, I should have wrote it down but I do not know why I can't dude I have a I'm yeah, oh, like goodness but but race as a socioeconomic construct Oh, sociopolitical construct. Oh, so, yes. so, sociopolitical construct. Yes. Okay. Um, and I believe that's how I explained it to my kids when they were like five. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to remember. I will write, hold on. I need to write this down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because it didn't occur to me that, um, well, I didn't believe in age segregation. Um, mm. <laughs> and so I believe. I believe the same time, yeah. Right. So I believe that yeah. you can explain anything to a child and if they don't understand they'll keep asking you questions to clarify. That's and a good so, way to do it though.
0: Right. I mean exactly. I mean yeah I mean when I when I want to <sighs> Because I feel like like if you can get people to ask the right questions, and that's part of why the podcast is called The Thinking Project. If you can get people to ask questions, they're more open to the answer. And yes. so I, I like to like... My teaching method, it drives my wife crazy and it drives some of the people that I work with crazy. But I don't ever lead with like advice most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll like drop hints and then I'll say a word and they'll be like, "What you said that, like, what did you mean? Right? And now we can have a conversation because right. now, you know what I'm saying now... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can all be there, and so I like that. I like that. I like this approach, right? I, I like this idea. And how did you come up with that idea? Why did you choose this route when um, when others may have chosen? Do you mean you know, a
1: career path or the approach to working with people?
0: Both. both.
1: Um, well, okay. In terms of why I work with people, the the methodology, if you will, comes partly from my artist practice and what I've learned. So my, what's empowered innovation, CFAAP, what that stands for is cultural fusion artist philosophy. And so Mm. that is actually an art series that I started, um, I don't know, 14 years ago, something like that. Um, and so my artist practice is a, the basis of all of this. So part to, speaking to what we were saying before about, I believe that everybody has a bit of the solution. So my goal is how do I engage with people in at that level of artistry? Whatever it is that you do, there's something that you love to do that you bring it to a level of artistry. That's what I want to work with you on. And mm, so wow. that's kind of what's always driving it is I want to orient people toward that, You know, identify what that is, because it helps me understand, like, how could we possibly collaborate on something to make the world a better place? So that's one part of it. Uh, But also to just expand this, because I try to live my life as if it were my work of art. Um, When I started doing these, these interviews are a bit performative for me. And so (laughs) I worked with some people to like work all of that out to like, you know, get a kind of I came up with one character backstory that totally didn't work. But um, (laughs) it was sort of anyway, I had to do something that was closer to who I was. And so we started working from the Mm -hmm. inside out um, at that point. And then we started working with a makeup artist. Um, to help me like kind of figure out some things. So it's like really about embracing like the art in life. Uh, I heard there's a quote from a play called Passing Strange, where one of the character, the guy narrating says that he was looking for something in life that can only be found in art. And Mm. that just appealed to my 17 year old self. um, Because she thought like, um, yeah, you know, when I was young, I thought it was Janis Joplin's freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Um, and I used to write that. Everyone's like, I want that as my epitaph. Um, I was always talking about my epitaph. And it was really morbid. My daughter pointed out.
0: Okay, stop. Um, yeah, she was like four. Uh, yeah. I was like, I really should stop. Um, well, that's a good way to do it. Like, I, I come from that approach too. like, wait, what do you want written on your epitaph? If you die tomorrow, like how would that change what you think, say, and do? Would all of this really matter? if right. it was gone. Like, you know, you've never seen a U-Haul bes- behind a funeral procession, right? Like the Egyptians tried it and everybody robbed them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like how many times have you cried at a movie or book that basically had that message of yeah. somebody realizing too late what really mattered, right? Yeah, yeah. And exactly. so um, yeah. probably because I don't, I don't really love crying. It's not my favorite thing to do. It's like, I really need to learn <laughs> that enough. lesson. Uh, but it really changed me. Like when I was yeah. six years old, I saw this movie, Imitation of Life*. Um, the racist part of it kind of, not I did kind of went over my head. What stuck with mm-hmm. me was the mother-daughter message and this daughter coming back after her mother's died with so much regret. And, you know, um, and now it's too late. And her mother was only kind and patient with her. And that was a movie that sort of made me, um, I didn't know my mother was going to die. Like that had never crossed my mind. And that always would come back to me of my mother's not going to be here forever. And I always want her to know that I love her that tempered my behavior. So I'm, people say that it's morbid, but I'm kind of like that with
0: everybody. No, um, I mean, that's a great way to do it. <laughs> if you do it the right way, right? If you do it in a sense of like meditation and, and in a sense of reverence, then uh, like meditating on your mortality isn't, isn't a well, bad thing. It actually, taking it into how you actually treat people. If I love you, yes. I should treat you like I love you so that when you're gone,
1: I have no doubt that you know how much you meant to me. Like that changed my life. That really, wow. you know, just, um, and it stuck with me. And I, yeah. you know, um, that like absolutely was like a game changer. So that's part of why I get, I want people to think about that because I don't yeah. want them to realize it when it's too late. Think about it now while you can do something about it. And I have, um, what I teach is like a strategy for apply to line action. So mm-hmm. it's a way that you approach your daily planning in your life so that it is always aligned with what we have set out as what matters most to you. And so mm-hmm. this is kind of how it fits in with the cure for racism. Once we figure out like what really matters to you, and then we branch that out to like okay, now let's look at how what the impact is on other people and the planet, mm-hmm. and look at what systems are involved. Um, yeah. And so because. I've been looking at this for a long time. Um, I'm able to help guide people a little bit in understanding that. And they can go as deep into like studying it as they want or Mm -hmm. not. You know, we can just like keep it kind of focused on what they're looking at, or I can refer them to other resources where they can like go in the deep end of the pool if that's what (laughs) they want to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's very profound and amazing um, once you really get into it, because it really is about understanding that systems change when the people within them change and they won't change otherwise. And we can see this with our technology. When we look at, I don't know if you've heard about the stories with face recognition software, for example, Okay, no, I haven't. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Well, um, it interprets, <laughs> it, it doesn't recognize black women. Um, what? Like um, the like the face, like yes. the Apple face ID? What? A lot of this technology had wow. problems recognizing women, or it translates our facial expressions as angry. It can't tell the difference between our expressions. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but that's something that's been shown to be true with a lot of uh, non- non-people of color (laughs) Um, (laughs) oh my goodness um, and so like this kind of bias gets put into the software basically is what happens and so we we see this kind of you know um that's like a real thing yeah Um, it is yeah and i think it was in china where they started to use facial recognition software to determine credit worthiness no kidding That is terrible. So what happens if that comes here where we already have all these issues with racial bias?
0: Yeah, that's I worked with credit for a long time. And it's just it's I can't even start on that. I'll get (laughs) to it's just it 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 doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason to this. I'm sure it perpetuates a lot of stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, it, no, I know it. I mean, I know it does. Like after working with credit, like so um, intimately, like I did, I mm-hmm. did not like the system. I did not like how it worked. I did not like who was behind it. I didn't like. That we there have been making- a lot of lawsuits behind that. I mean, one of the yeah. things I
1: cite on my website is I think it's like 64 billion dollars being the cost of discrimination. I saw that. Yes, I. You know, money paid out, but part of of that one of the things I looked at in a paper that I wrote when I found that stat was about I think it was Toyota, but there was a big car dealership I think it was Toyota, but it was like discriminatory financing practices where despite their credit rating, um, black and brown people were you know charged higher interest rates or denied mm-hmm. financing at all. Um, And so they had to pay out, you know, millions and millions of dollars for that. And they had like a few of those. um, Yeah, there was a bunch of athletes, I think, at one time who wanted to buy a dealership because no, there was no black owned dealerships. Okay. Uh, and so like seven or eight like professional athletes came together and they're like, um, clearly this is not a money issue. And they took it to the media. They're um, yeah. you know, talking discrimination because, OK, this is an instance where this clearly is not about us not having the money, you know, right. to be able to right. afford a dealership. And the yeah. like seven of them. Yeah, and some of them even had like you know I think owned other kinds of dealerships, and so there were some people in the mix who had some experience. Anyway, um, the the point is just that there is a a cost to that that kind of thing, and it does get it imbues the system. I mean, it's how you end up with institutional racism where you have defendants, um, when you have somebody coming up and there's no evidence against the person, but mm. the state gets, you know, basically a kickback, you know, mm. if the prison stays full. So public defenders are encouraged to plead people out. <coughs> and not even question evidence. And one of the, I've written this paper called um, about ethics and data ownership and analysis really calling into question, there needs to be some sort of community level oversight in terms of data policy because of of these kinds of things, because there's a lot of instances of corruption of justice system data, corruption Mm -hmm. at the police, the city level. There's a really big case in New York where the The whistleblower was like put into um, Bellevue. They picked him up in the middle of the night out of his home, put him in Bellevue for a week to try and silence him. Um, But he saw that manipulation of data going on, um, how some data is suppressed. And I have had, you know, some very, some experiences like that when you try to get. (gasps) those are my cats um when you try to get access to data and um you kind of get like stonewalled and they don't want to give it to you or then when you get it it doesn't make sense um and like one of the things I just found like in my local community for example was uh domestic violence like the domestic violence numbers were supposedly going down I don't think they really were I think they were reclassifying them as assault on female which don't get counted and no I kid you not I got the reports and I had to get the reports block by block by block they wouldn't just give them to me they were going to make me make it really oh but that's what I noticed was there was a lot of assault on the female um and I found out yeah that was why they they categorized them that way
0: Oh my so that God. kind of
1: thing to play with data.
0: Yeah, I like I like what you said though about community oversight, and I think that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like, in my view, uh, where it starts, is like in your community, and if people can focus on what they you know, what they value the most. And we can come together as a community thing. We can really end a lot of this stuff because, you know, I, I found in my life that when I talk with somebody and we're very, and it's, and it's not charged, it's not a charged mm-hmm. conversation. We can we have a, the same things. A, Yep, We want, we want the truth and we both know we don't have the whole, right. And so we're going to work together that right. I find like most people were on the same page, like that blows my mind and would not fly. Like, how do you do that? How do you, I would lose my mind. <laughs>
1: um, well, it's like what it takes to stay in the game. You know, I've been doing this a long, long time. Mm, um, yeah. I just turned true. 50 in December and I think I, uh, Amnesty International, um, Apartheid in South Africa was probably my first sort of political awakening of like my political conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. back in those days, Amnesty didn't want you to work on campaigns in your country. So you would write letters for other countries. Oh, okay. but as I got older and realized, like, oh, we have issues closer to home. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? <laughs>
0: like real ones. Yeah, like real ones that we we have homeless together. people. What? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a crazy one. When, when that one inevitably, when we come together and figure that one out, I just can't imagine. I just can't. I can already see the conversations. Like, you had homeless people. Like, yeah. was it because you didn't have any places for them to live? No, there was a ton of that. <laughs> like, so what happened? I don't know, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, just- yeah. I mean, one of
1: the one of my first programs with with, the, with one of my My first adult program, my first Mm -hmm. successful adult program, (laughs) because I had one that wasn't successful, I just remember. Um, But um, it was a fatherhood initiative that was actually a reentry program for men who had had justice system involvement. And it turned out most of them, the justice system involvement was behind child support enforcement, an ability to pay their child support, which landed them in jail. That was also connected to homelessness, because if you lose your job, you lose your place to live. You lose mm. sometimes you lose your car.
0: Yeah. And you kind of yeah. have to start all over again. Right. Yeah. And um, that's hard. So and that's them in hard. That cycle. Well yeah, I, I talked with a, a local nonprofit here in Salt Lake City who addict to advocate, um, who focuses on the you know, helping the homeless population like get wherever they want to go. Right. Essentially. Mm -hmm. And they were explaining to me how hard it was for somebody in that situation to get like, so in order for you to get a job, you have to have like ID, right? like birth certificate, an address. address, Right. And like, you don't have, so like most, most of the population, like they don't have like IDs. They don't, they don't have their birth certificate because they have no place to put it. They don't have a house. Right. And I was like, wow, that, uh, that it changed my whole view because I was like, of course that like, you know, cause I've had to do a lot of changing in my life. And before I was like, why don't they just go get a job? And then they were like, <laughs> well, why don't you just, well, why don't you give them an address, a uh, ID, their birth certificate and their social security number without waiting for a year from the social security right. administration. And I was like, they slapped me in the face. I was like, you're right. There's a whole was, bunch of hoops yeah. you have to jump through. If you have no ID to be able to
1: right. get copies of any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's atrocious. A yeah, it really it's, is. It's ridiculous. So I've you know I've had to do a lot of growing, and I'm not I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm, yeah. because I'm the organizations that's my that
1: just do that, that just provide people with an address and a phone number where they can be contacted, and helping them get cleaned up, take a shower, and yeah. um, partnering them with organizations that will help with clothes. But I remember in Atlanta there was an organization that just did that, just mm. help people with that administrative wow. paperwork bit, and, and Provided them with an address and a phone number that they could put on a job application, a job application,
0: and so that they could get mail and and they right. could be contacted, stuff like that. They would take a exactly. message. That's fantastic. That's a great idea, and that's yeah. part of what this other organization, And you know, that that's part of what they did. They helped them like wash their clothes and, and do and and help them navigate that. You know, they had a they had legal team on on count or uh, counsel on their team and it's just but yeah you're right and 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 i and i would imagine that it would it would affect people like that a little bit more because of yeah, it's just it's crazy and well, then you have the mental
1: that with the well I, we don't have a mental health system here anymore i'm thinking most places really don't anymore um right. but a lot of people with mental health problems end up homeless and in they jail yeah. yeah um and then there's a whole cycle there and mm-hmm. for a long time i know here our local shelter was across the street from a well-known drug house. It had been a drug house since I was a kid. Oh wow! Uh, so they would literally send out of the psych ward. Um, over to the homeless shelter. They go outside to smoke a cigarette, and somebody mm. would approach them with, you know, with, with drugs. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Jeez. Um, That's.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, and and I think the work you're doing is fantastic. After this conversation, just raising awareness and helping people understand that it starts with us, right? It starts with the. You gotta community. just find a place where you can get involved. Something because there's
1: something mm. that you love to do that somebody needs. Find an organization that's looking for that. Um, We the world invited me in and it was like, well, I was like, that's interesting. And so I submitted a proposal. It's like, well, I'll do it if you let me do this. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you good for um, you that's awesome that's great so it worked out really well but also I yeah. think that we have to look at where we because um, I'm doing an interview on Tuesday with a young man in New York who's a community advocate and he said something like really that that stuck with me that was sort of troubling but he said that he thought that COVID has made people um, colder um, oh like uh, like like spiritually colder yeah yeah less willing to help each other mm. Um And so I want to talk to him about that, about what we can do um,
0: to not let that be the case, you know? Yeah, Um, because, you know, that is is kind of interesting, right? Like, we've definitely... (sighs) We've definitely taken some weird stances on this whole thing, but it should just be real easy. Like, let's just Whoa, help people, you know. What I mean? um, and I, but then on
1: the other side of that, though, I'm sorry, do no, continue. I'm sorry, didn't mean,
0: Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, I mean, we should just. I mean, that was my thing. I was like, we should just be um, helping people. Let's just be. Well, wow. the other side of that,
1: though, is when you're helping people. And he shared with me he's working at a food bank, and okay. he was very. Um, he was an integral part of getting his food bank to give out fresh foods, fresh foods instead of canned. And, you know, canned Mm -hmm. food, which is better Mm -hmm. for people, lower sodium, all of that. Yeah. Um, but then he talked about being cursed out by people <laughs> who wanted um something else or they want more. And uh, I also remember that. I remember being on the board of um an HIV AIDS organization. And for the mm-hmm. holidays, we it was a big deal. We'd gotten like a big freezer, like a deep freezer uh, for the organization, which meant we could have meat. We could give people meat. There was like a pantry that they would go mm-hmm. in. Um, and then, for Christmas, uh, we got Christmas gifts. you know, people would say what they want for them or their kids, and I literally had a woman curse me out because her son did not get a starter jacket and, oh my um, um oh my and then we goodness. had to uh. Put somebody on the door watching the pantry because people were stealing meat and selling it to people in the parking lot and stuff oh no um <laughs> so it's like it's hard to sometimes you know you have those those people yeah. who um yeah i don't want to call them bad apples but like a couple of people who sort of sour you on the giving experience yeah, but you realize yeah, that overwhelmingly yeah. the overwhelming number of people you know yeah. what I mean?
0: It's just, just you're, it's you're like, doing good things. They're grateful and, and, you know, yeah. Right. But but what if they're not necessarily great saying, I'm so grateful to you, oh, um, sure. you know, you're
1: helping them, but as long as they don't yeah. curse you out, um, <laughs> just those kind of things kind of stick with you. Cause I've not been cursed out too many times. Um, <laughs> I remember both of them. I don't right, remember right. the people's names, but I remember both occasions.
0: But, but but okay, wow. But
1: I count myself lucky that it's only been twice. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, before we wrap up, two things. So what? So what? I mean, what's your advice for people to what? What do you want them to take away from? You know, you mentioned you're doing a lot of these interviews. You're doing a lot of these podcasts. You have one. You're writing the book. What's the message you want people to take away? And wh- and what should we do? Um, nothing changes without you. Um, And one of the things
1: I want want people to understand in terms of white privilege, you can't do away with white privilege. It's here. But what you can do is begin to leverage your white privilege and use your privilege um, to change the system. And you Mm -hmm. can do that by first dealing with, you know, the racism itself. Um, And uh, having the, finding the courage to be honest um, about that, but also you have to, pay attention to self-care because it is a very emotionally wrought, you know, sort of experience for some people. So Mm -hmm. having some sort of plan for self-care, having some sort of um, support network, I think is is very helpful for people. A place where you can um, be and discuss safely. That's part of what I am creating with my groups and in my community and on my team. And I feel like the WE organization in general. Mm-hmm. that's very important, um, to be kind to yourself, um, to do the best you can and then do a little bit better than that
0: <laughs> <laughs> and get better every day <laughs> That's it. and get better. Yeah. yeah that's that's it. great. So, and, and, uh, and this goes into like the, the final thing of, of where they, everybody can find you. Um, so they can do that. They, we can do that through your, with your help, through your website, through your book. So tell me, um, so give us all of that information. So if you go to empoweredinnovation.org
1: or webantifon.com, you can get to the fundraising page and there you'll find the Cure for Racism website. You can make a donation or you can just claim a free ticket to check out that webinar. And I right. encourage people to share their thoughts and reactions with me after they go through that. We will be doing some, um, free, some like, free stuff on like Instagram or maybe YouTube, um, kind of dive into some of this with some friends and I have a musician friend that I think is going to be a sort of guinea pig for me. Uh, she had a little bit of a, um, a flare up in public. I think it was semi-public. <laughs> so uh, we've been talking about her road to redemption. <laughs> um, and that, um, because I want people to understand there's no shame in making a mistake as long as you're willing to rectify it. And that's yeah. why I want her to feel embraced. And I think it's important um, that we, you know, make a little project out of this, but we'll be doing some stuff either on YouTube or Instagram um, around that because I, I, I think that the fear of getting it wrong stops people from trying. And I don't want people to stop trying. I, I, we yeah. need you to keep trying. And I saw yeah. some really like heartbreaking stuff, you know, about my kindergarten experience, you know, dealing with racism in, in some of those articles. So I want people to really think about like um, the kids, you know, the children that are growing up in this, that you can make a big, big difference in their lives and uh, yeah. that it doesn't happen without you. So we need all of you.
0: Right on. Well, thank you so much. So they got your website. Where do they find you on Instagram and YouTube? Yvette Dubell. Y Dubell? Um, okay. one of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, uh, thank you so, mu- so much for joining me and doing this with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun, Dalton. Thank you. Absolutely.